This morning is going to be a little bit redundant for a few of you guys um, that were in Sunday school. Um, I've had the opportunity to preach or teach in Sunday school um, a couple times now, and I've been on a, uh, I call it a series, but I've only done two. I don't think that counts. But this is the third one, so I guess it's kind of a series. Um, I call it deconstructing deconstruction. When we, when we got saved, we did it because we learned something. We did it because we, we realized who we are. It was, it was information that led us to Christ. We read God's word. We were in a lot. We learned that we're in a lost state. Um, we agree with God about what He says about you and me, and we agree with God about what He says about His Son. But it, see, it seems like like after we get saved, all of a sudden now, it's not about learning. It's not about knowing God anymore. It's about uh, it's about faith, and it, it is about faith. But we we seem to think that. That faith and knowledge are at conflicts because faith is the absence of knowledge and knowledge is the absence of faith. And that's not really true. In our walk with God, me and you, we ought to know. We ought to be skilled. There's no difference between me and you. Um, there's, not, there's not really any difference. As far as you're saved and I'm saved, we're all one in Christ. Galatians chapter 3, 28, right? There's no Jew, there's no Greek, there's no... Man or woman, all are one in Christ. There's no call on my life um, to be an informed Christian and a call on your life to not be an informed Christian. There's no call on pastor's life to be something that you guys aren't also called to be. And uh, we need to take responsibility for this. And um, I think the problem that I'm going to be talking about today is, is a product of people just not taking responsibility for these sorts of things in their own life, and it leads them to what we call deconstruction. Um, so let's go to the Lord in prayer, and we'll get right into it. Lord, uh, thank you for giving me the opportunity to preach, Lord. I pray that I would be a blessing, um, and that we would learn this morning, and that, uh, God, that we would, you would get glory out of this, Lord. I love you, God, and I pray these things in your Son's name. Amen. Everybody's got baggage, um, in, information-wise. Uh, there's certain things that we believe because we're part of a group. There's certain things that you and I believe because of who our pastor is. There's certain things that we believe because of who discipled us. There's certain things that you and I believe because of who our parents were. And so this word was, was invented. I don't know, it wasn't really invented, but it was applied to this. We, we call it deconstruction. And this is where we, we lay out our beliefs, our beliefs on a table. And we determine, or we, we, we investigate our beliefs, beliefs to see, is this biblical? Is this true? Do I only believe this doctrine, or I, do I only believe this about this doctrine because of the person that discipled me? Or is this really found in the Word of God? And we call that deconstruction. But unfortunately, it's been hijacked lately. It's been, uh, and it's been a really popular... Uh, trend on the internet that deconstruction is, is leaving our faith. 
and they're things that points that people bring up about the Word of God to say, hey, I'm no longer a Christian anymore. I've deconstructed. And I think if, if there's a problem with American Christianity, it's that we're not, we're not learned enough. We don't, we don't know our Bibles well enough. We don't understand how to tackle issues. I don't mean this to be rude in any sort of way, but the amount of times that American Christians put themselves in a situation where they have to be giving an answer for their faith or witnessing to somebody is dismal. It's really, really bad. And I'm not bringing this up because I think, oh, there's a problem with this church. This is just American Christianity. We live our life, they live their lives, and that's kind of the attitude that uh, if it's not intentional, it's taken. And it's a, it's a real problem. And because of this, we've gotten lazy. We're out of practice, or we just never were, were trained for it. Um, and we need to be able to give an answer for our faith. If somebody is struggling with something, you ought to know how to help them. If somebody says, hey, I want to believe in Christ, but something about the Bible bothers me. Can you help me? And whatever it is, it'd be my prayer that I would be able to help them. Now, I don't know everything about the Bible, so there's always a chance I can't. But you and I, we ought to be preparing. We ought to be training ourselves. We ought to be seeking out good information to be able to answer people, to be able to, to tell people what we believe. A lot of people, they don't have the wherewithal to explain to somebody um, what it takes to be saved. Somebody came up to me, uh, came up to one of you guys and said, um, I need to know more about this Christianity thing. Would you be able to effectively lead them to the Lord? Um, let alone that, do we have the wherewithal to defend our faith? Um, it's, it's convicting to think about it, and it makes me want to spend all my time reading the Word of God and, and trying to learn about these things. Um, what often happens in deconstruction is that somebody's already decided to leave their faith. I've made a choice that I don't like Christianity, but I'm in a tight-knit group of Christians, and I don't want the issue to be, I'm leaving you guys because I don't like what we're preaching. So we substantialize it with something that isn't oftentimes substantial. And we give our apostasy, um, our abandonment of our faith, we give it a facade. This is the reason why I can't get behind Christianity anymore. But a lot of times... A surface understanding of Christianity will fix these problems for us. Or if these people would just go to somebody and say, hey, I'm struggling with this issue, maybe it would be answered. Or maybe, maybe if we were equipped already with this, we could, we could avoid the problems. Sometimes it's issues with information in, 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 the, in the Word of God they just simply don't understand. Other times it's just issues with what we preach what we believe as Christians. It's not even about, um, it's not even an intellectual issue where they don't think that two facts can be true at the same time. Um, they just disagree with how we feel about homosexuality. Um, but they don't really understand that that's not a substantial argument as to why what the Bible says about homosexuality is wrong. They've just found something to disconnect themselves from Christianity over. And we want to be able to give an answer for these sort of things. It's important so what I've done um, is I have compiled a list of some really common ones I found. And I'd like to go over them with you. 
Some of them might be connected. Some of them are going to be seemingly unconnected. But the thing that they all have in common is that people leave church over this kind of stuff. And this is the important stuff that me and you ought to know and be able to, to discuss with people confidently. Um, these are not just things people leave church over. These are things that people refuse to go to church over or refuse to you know, become a Christian over. And me and you need um, to be prepared. And hopefully today, we can deal with enough of this stuff um, that I can be a blessing to you and, and we, can, we can learn a little bit. Um, so yeah, the first one. Why would I become a Christian if Jesus himself wasn't even a Christian? This one sounds clever. It does sound clever. I've actually had people say this to me because uh, I think that the, the immediate problem here is that they don't realize that Judaism and Christianity are, are intertwined, are kind of, kind of a run-on sentence. Christianity didn't necessarily come out of Judaism. It's always been the worship of a specific God. And that even Judaism nowadays is looking for a Messiah that we've already found in Jesus Christ. Um, so Judaism today is looking for what you and I already have. Um, so there's even a recognition that from, from Jewish people today that Christianity is still tied to Judaism. But a lot of people don't understand this. Why would I be a Christian, a follower of Christ? If Christ was a Jew, shouldn't I just be a Jew? And uh, I don't think they normally get that far because I don't think the intention is for them to figure out how to follow Christ best. The intention is to say, that's why I'm not going to do what you're doing. That's why I'm not going to be a Christian because Jesus Christ was not a Christian. But I would like to argue that Jesus Christ was, for all intents and purposes, a Christian. And he was a Jew. Because that's where he was born and that's when he was born. There's certain tenets of Christianity, certain fundamentals, and we talked about that recently, that I think that Christ displays during his ministry. Now, these are the rules. If you are going to show that Christ is truly a Christian, you can't show people talking about Christ who claim to be a Christian. So for a person who honestly means what they're saying, it's not going to work for them to to show them something Paul said about Christ. They want to know, was Christ himself a Christian? So I've come up with a, with a list, and this isn't a uh, full list. There are more things you can find, um, but there's a few fundamentals about our faith that Christ shared. Um, number one, Christ came to satisfy the Father's wrath towards us and our sin. We can turn to John chapter 6, verse 35. And we'll look at 35 through 40. And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that comes to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. But I say unto you, that ye have seen me, and believe not. All the Father giveth me shall come to me. Um, and him that comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. For I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but of the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will, um, that he, uh, which he has given me. I think I might have skipped a line. Starting in verse 39. And this is the Father's will which hath sent me, that of all which he has given unto me, I should lose nothing, 
but should raise it up again at the last day. And this is the will of him that sent me, that every one which sees a son and believeth on him shall have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. So immediately we see the core tenet of Christianity is that Jesus Christ came to take away the sins of the world. And we see Christ recorded as claiming that that's why he came. That's one down. Second one, institution of the church. Matthew chapter 16. We look at verses 17 through 19. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed it to thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say unto thee that thou art Peter, upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So it seems that Christ did build the church. And that's a big deal for people who think that, uh, that Jesus Christ wasn't even a Christian, we see that Christ's intention while he was on earth was not just to save people like you and me from our sins, but it was to build the church, literally constructing what you and I are doing today. Now, he didn't get a hammer and a chisel and nails and build this, but he built the structure that you and I, where you and I can have fellowship together. Where you're saved and I'm saved and we can be part of a community of fellow Christians that believe. Um, Christ built the church. Uh, the, sec- the third thing, uh, evangelizing the lost is a key priority. Uh, Matthew chapter 28. This is a big one. Because they really think that, that this, is, this is one of the places that matters the most. But they don't realize that Christ uh, was concerned with this too. Matthew chapter 28, 18 through, um, through 20. And Jesus said, and Jesus came and spake unto them saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things, whosoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. It seems that Christ was not even just concerned with me and you on a personal level, just evangelizing the people around us, but Christ was also concerned with missions work. Because it's not just about marketplace evangelism, where I'm just going to evangelize to the people around me, it seems that Christ says, bring it everywhere. Bring it all around the earth. Um, fourthly, we see that Christ prepared is preparing a promised heaven. John chapter 14. In verse 1. Let your, not, your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. So Jesus Christ is speaking about preparing a heaven that Christians, when they die, will go to. The last thing is that uh, salvation is the gift of God, and it's a free gift. And of course, we know that this is true, um, not just by the, the, the teachings of Paul in Romans and in many other places in the Bible, but we see that Christ freely gives it to the thief on the cross. The thief literally just asked for mercy. Remember me when you go into your... And when you go into your kingdom. And Christ said, today you'll be with me in paradise. It was a free gift. So right off the bat, probably, assuredly, along with many other um, things that Christ did in his ministry that would confirm, confirm he's Christian, it seems that the major tenets that me and you believe today about salvation and about organizing a church comes from Christ. Not just what people say about Christ, 
but from Christ himself. Christ was most definitely, was most definitely Christian. Um, Christianity uh, is not even really technically the important word because really what you and I do, we're following Christ. Um, so this automatically means that this argument implodes on itself because no matter what Christ was, we're just going to follow what Christ did. Uh, and if Christ didn't build the church and instead he built something else, we would be a part of that. Um, but he built the church. Praise the Lord. And, uh, of course, Christ was a practicing Jew because when he was born, Christ had not died on the cross to take away our sins quite yet. Um, however, you and I are Christians because we follow Christ. Um, let's see here. Number two. Yeah, this is a big one. I can't condone or worship the God of the Bible. I can't, or I can't worship a God that condones slavery. This is a huge one, especially in our culture nowadays, because we're all very geared uh, towards racial issues. We're very, um, we think about a lot of things in that lens. And we think about slavery automatically in that lens. Um, this is one of those things. It's not ridiculous to have this question. Um, a lot of times when we have questions about the Bible, we're uh, and not in this church, praise the Lord, but we're treated as being uh, ridiculous. Sometimes we can create a culture that doesn't appreciate asking questions. But um, to be frank, if I'm doubting and I'm not allowed to bring forward my doubts, honestly, it's not that my doubts have now gone. It's just that I, I can't express them anymore, and I can't be helped with them. Um, this is not a ridiculous question to ask. Um, because of our culture, it is so concerned with racism. Um, historically, because uh, the slavery here in America, um, the Bible doesn't seem to condemn slavery right off the bat. It even gives rules on how to treat slaves. Wow. What an issue. But what is slavery to the Bible? And that's the question that we have to ask. Uh, most often, slavery in the Bible was related to your economic status. Slavery doesn't mean the exact same thing that we mean it today. We automatically mean somebody's been stolen and sold into slavery. But a lot of times, back then, if you couldn't provide for yourself, you go and work for somebody who could provide for you. And we do, we do this today. Uh, this was just cutting out money, the middleman. Um, and oftentimes in the Bible, slavery was somebody who could not afford to feed themselves, and they'd find a wealthy person and become their servant. And they would be given room and board. And this was, was uh, considered a slave. Uh, second thing is indentured servitude. We do the same thing here in America. We just... Use a middleman, money, um, where somebody has an insurmountable debt. It can never pay. So instead of paying it, um, they sell themselves into slavery to the person that they owe the debt to. Essentially saying, I have this insurmountable debt. Instead of paying for it, which I could never do, I'm going to work for you. I'm going to be your servant. And it's essentially the same thing. Same thing as the first one is that somebody who just couldn't provide for themselves, they would go and find somebody to work for. Now, what does the Bible say about the kind of slavery that we find in the world today? 
or what we mean by slavery. We can turn to Exodus chapter 12. And in verse 15, God's giving rules um, to the children of Israel, and he mentions uh, slaves, or in, in a way he mentions slaves. Exodus 12, verse 15. Seven days shall ye eat unleavened bread, and the first day uh, ye shall put away uh, leaven out of your houses. And whosoever eats leavened bread from the first day until the seventh day, uh, that soul shall be cut off from Israel. On the first day there should be a holy convocation. Um, I might be in the wrong place. I'm not sure. Yep, I think I might just have the wrong... Um, wrong passage in the, in, in the Bible here. Anyways, the passage that I did have, and I'll, I'll bring it tonight and I'll tell you guys what it is. Um, but essentially, God forbids Israel um, to kidnap people and selling them. Basically saying that if you kidnap and you sell somebody, or if you kidnap them and force them to work for you, you're going to be put to death. So you've got God saying, slavery... This is how you handle people who are your slaves. And he's got this rule over here saying, if you kidnap a person and sell them, you will die. You could put two and two together and say, maybe slavery in that culture wasn't about kidnapping people and selling them into slavery. It wasn't the same thing. Um, turn to uh, 1 Timothy 1.10. I don't think I'll have the wrong passage two times in a row. <laughs> 1 Timothy 1.10. It says, for whoremongers, um, for them that defile themselves with mankind, for men-stealers, for liars, for per uh, perjured persons, and if there be any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine. Um, basically, this is just a list God was putting together for, uh, Paul was putting together for Timothy for people who are not righteous. Basically, men-stealers bad. The Bible does not condone kidnapping people and selling them into slavery. And this is a really common thing you'll see. You'll see people on TV all the time because it's, really, uh, it's really sensational to stand up in front of a large audience or, or, or post a video knowing that, you know, 100,000 people might see it and say, I'm not a Christian because it's views on slavery. And then all of a sudden, there's thousands and thousands and thousands of people who now think that the Bible condones slavery as we have seen it in the last few hundred years. But this isn't true. Um, and when somebody brings this up to us, you and I ought to be able to, to tell them otherwise. Um, certainly, they may not accept it because sometimes these issues are just reasons that they've left and the reasons they truly have left um, are more of a heart problem. But for people who are honestly staying away from Christianity because of the slavery, um, they can be corrected. Um, you can show them scripturally how this isn't true, and it's, um, I know it's a little intimidating because of how volatile the issues are, but that doesn't mean you and I should step down, uh, step back from that. Let's see here. The third thing I wanted to go over, um, and this is the last thing, is how the church uh, treats women in ministry. This is a in the same way as the Bible and slavery, 
has been really misrepresented. And it, it's, it's a problem. Of course, I think it's accepted by everybody that, that women, generally, in the history of the world, have not always been treated the same way as men. They haven't been seen, a lot of times, on equal terms. In Jesus Christ's time, if um, there was an issue of the law, if a woman was brought into court um, as a witness, her witness would not, be, uh, would not be accepted. If there were no male witnesses, it would be considered, um, but basically only if there were more than one woman that saw it. And a, and a lot of times in history, we can all agree that women haven't always had like the same rights as men. Um, sometimes because people who, who want to bring this up take this much further than it ought to be, um, we want to go the opposite way and deny that any of it is ever true. But sometimes it is true. Um, we need to separate what's biblical and what's societal. What's biblical and what's societal. Uh, I don't think our treat, church treats women poorly. Um, that's not why I'm bringing this up, of course. But there's a few, um, there's a few exercises that you and I can do in critical thinking that will bring us, I think, to a better place that will help people who accuse our church because people, when they accuse Christianity, they don't know our church. So you could say, I'd like to invite you to Liberal League Baptist Church, and they're just automatically going to assume that you treat women poorly in your church. And because of the Internet, a lot of people believe this sort of thing. Um, but like so many, many issues of deconstruction, like so many issues that people leave the church over, it starts with false assumptions. And I, I talked about this in Sunday school. They will tell us, and we do it to them sometimes too, they'll tell us what we believe, and then they'll argue against that. Now, <laughs> raise your hand in here if you think that if you're a woman, uh, that you're a lesser person, and you don't really count as a person as much as a man does. I don't believe that. I don't think anybody in this room believes that. <laughs> However, people who would detract from Christianity will come and they will tell you, you believe this, and then they'll argue against that and then cite that as a reason either why they left church or they won't become a Christian. But let's look at the problems um, that this argument has. Number one, uh, it tells you that your value as a human being is based on whether you can lead a church or not. Whether you can lead a church or not. Um, but a baby is not less human than a man. Baby is a human individual. It can't lead a church. In fact, there's many men um, who aren't qualified to lead a church, but it doesn't make them less valuable as a person. You're not lesser of a person if you can't lead a church. Leadership is often, in our eyes, tied to value. You go to work, you work a secular job, it's considered a good thing if you're promoted to management, right? Um, and we tend to see human value in terms of, of that. Um, but that's not what really, that's not um, what assigns a human as value. You're just as valuable if you're not leading as you are uh, if you are. There's not a problem with not being able to lead a church. Uh, the second assumption that we make is that the Bible is just against women leadership in general. That women need to stay in their place and shut up. <laughs> they say that's how we believe. 
But we don't believe that way. There's nothing wrong with a woman being in, in leadership. It just seems that God in the church wants to preserve the natural roles that he set in place. But there's Christians in the Bible who had their own company. Uh, Lydia had her own business, and she, sell per she sold purple linens. But people who, who want to leave Christianity or stay away from Christianity will often um, accuse us of believing that women shouldn't have uh, uh, rights or they should never be allowed to you know, have things like that. But the Bible doesn't say that. That's not what the Bible says. It seems that there are qualifications for leadership in a church, uh, and that's what the Bible is more concerned about. Um, yeah. A third issue is that people believe that in order for a woman um, to have value, she needs to be able to do or at least um, have the propensity to do every single thing that a man can do, which doesn't make sense. Let's think, let's think this through, and let's, uh, let's do a little exercise and thought. If a woman, in order to be as valuable as a man, needs to be able to do every single thing a man should be able to do, then, and I, maybe some of you guys know where I'm going with this already, then if a man is going to be as valuable as a woman, does he need to be able to do everything she can do? I can't give birth. Not in a million years. <laughs> I don't know, maybe some scientists would argue with that. <laughs> I can't give birth. Does that mean I'm a lesser person? No. There's, there's, there's obviously, there's the, the, the two views here are called egalitarianism and complementarianism. And egalitarians, they believe that in the church, there's no difference. That because in Galatians 3.28, when Paul says there's no man, woman, Greek, Jew in the church, but all under one, uh, then we should completely ignore the commands in Scripture, the qualifications of a pastor to be the husband of one wife, Paul's encouragement to Timothy saying, um, only let men teach in the church, that we should ignore that because Christ says we're all one uh, in, the, in the church. And that's because they believe that if we are to love each other and to value each other as equals, we have to be able to do the same things. But that's just not true. Um, a baby can almost do nothing, right? And I, I keep going back to the baby. The baby can almost do nothing. That doesn't mean them as a human are devalued. They can't feed themselves. They can't walk. They can't talk. But we value babies, right? They're humans just as much as you and me. Um, so obviously this argument um, falls apart pretty quickly once we start, once we start thinking about it critically. Um, it seems to important just to keep in mind that the Bible tells us to have men as leaders in the church. And uh, there's nothing inherently, inherently wrong about woman leadership. Something else I want to bring up is that, and this is the tough one, and uh, I think this is where I want uh, to sit until the end of the sermon, um, is that we have emotional responses to things, things that we don't like. And that clouds our judgment really quickly. Um, typically, if you see somebody leave the church over uh, a Bible study issue, like questions about you know, contradictions in the Bible that they seem to find apparent, it's rarely really that. 
it's really a heart issue. And I know that, like, in our human minds, we're sacrificing our Sunday. You know, sometimes uh, in my flesh, I think, I'm not going to have a Sunday for the rest of my life. (laughs) I mean, you'd be lying if you said you didn't think about that. Unless, like, going to church is just, like, your ideal version of the perfect day off is just getting dressed in a hot suit coat and going to church. Um, but for most of us, it's not. For most of us, it's, it's not. A lot, most of us would just rather stay home and, and watch TV and eat food, get fat. Um, there's so many things about Christianity that us in our state, in our heart, we just don't like. It's not just things we consider immoral. Um, it's things that just our flesh tries to block us from liking, you know. Paul says in, in Romans chapter 7 that there's things in my flesh that I would want to do, but my spirit wars against that. And there's, there's things in my spirit that I know I ought to be doing, and spiritually I want to be able to do these things. Like, spiritually I want to be the holiest person I can. I want to be perfect. I never want to do anything wrong. But when it comes time to do something wrong, all of a sudden, for some reason, now I want to do something wrong. And this is how we approach, approach the Word of God. And we have, we have these volatile reactions in our heart where we don't want to follow Christ. Because following Christ is hard. Following Christ is difficult. Getting saved is easy. Um, and we're going to be preaching on this uh, tonight. Luke chapter 14, um, who, who builds a tower and doesn't count the cost? There's a, there's a cost in following Christ. Me, me and you, we need to be disciples, right? To each other. And there's big problem right now with people in groups like ours or even a lot of times bigger groups because we're a smaller church where for some reason whether a heart issue or an intellect issue they're plucked out of the congregation and they're no longer here where were we where were we you know I can think of people in my own personal life, not necessarily from here, but I, I've, I've attended a few churches, and they just stopped attending. And then about a year later, through some gossip, you hear why they stopped attending. And they're still in town, but they're just not going to church now. And obviously this wasn't the first reaction I had, but it's the reaction I have now is, where was I? You know, um, it's not easy to view church you go to as a lot of people who might be hurting, who might have some serious questions, who, who might have some heart problems. It's not up to just our pastor to deal with all of these things. And of course, we don't want to wait until these things show up to, to deal with these heart problems. Um, I think the, the question this morning is, where are you guys? Where are you right now? You know, we could come here tonight and have one less person here. I'm, I'm not expecting that to happen. 
But if you look in the numbers about how many people are leaving church, it's trending right now to leave church. They've got a term for it now. They call it ex exvangelical. Like you're an ex-evangelical, which is kind of like a big carpet term for Christianity that feels a need to evangelize. Like you and I, I think, would be considered generally speaking evangelical. Ex-evangelical, it's trending right now. Where were we? I'd like to go to those people's churches and say, where were you guys? Because, you know, sometimes we just leave. People leave over things that we think, if you just asked me, I could have helped you out with this. Where were you? We've left every single one of us to our own devices. And, and this is just, again, this is a, an issue with American Christianity, is that the person in the pew next to you uh, might be struggling with things that you can help them with. When we say that we're a church family, we're not just here to attend church together. This is why the Bible says, confess your sins one with another, right? We ought to know what's going on with each other. We ought to be in a position to help each other. Are you in a position in your life where the people in your church can come to you? Have you presented yourself as a person that can be a help to somebody who's having these problems? And if you're not, what are you doing to get there? Um, we ought to be disciplers. And we think of discipleship in terms of, of uh, sitting down every single week with somebody and uh, teaching them, which is something that we should be doing. Uh, but not every single one of us have to be doing something like that. Discipleship just has to do with spurring on growth in each other's life. It doesn't necessarily just take place over a desk with somebody or doesn't just necessarily take place with a staff member in a church and somebody who just attends. It takes place between you guys. And uh, I'm going to be honest. I put in a lot of work um, going through these and just kind of finding the most prevalent ones. I must have gone over a thousand of them. And if I could tell you this, most of the time, Almost all the time, actually, uh, when I came over something that I skipped and didn't put onto a list of things I'd like to deal with is because it was so easy, it would be like a two-second like dismissal because of how not true it was. And that's what I was thinking when I was going through it is, where were the people in their life? Where was the person that led them to the Lord? Where was the people that they, that they sat in the pew with? Um, and it's a really sad thing. And the encouragement this morning is that, is that, and maybe I didn't have to go through, through all of this with you guys, um, but this is an attainable thing. It doesn't matter your age. It doesn't really matter who you are, really. You don't have to sit in darkness as a Christian and not know. You don't have to sit in ignorance and think that, being smarts for pastor. I'm just here to listen. Um, I want to encourage you guys, be disciplers. Be here for each other. Um, yeah, Let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then we'll be dismissed. Uh, dear Lord, thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to teach, Lord. I pray, God, that you would have uh, blessed it and that I would be a blessing um, to the people here, Lord. Uh, help me as I prepare for tonight. Um, Lord, that you give me the things to say, Lord. 
I love you, God, and I pray all these things in your son's name. Amen.